Welcome to The Workplace, the podcast where we try to make the places we work, places we love to work. I'm Andrew Scarcella. Every episode, we'll be talking with a different expert about what makes great workplace cultures tick. A Navy fighter pilot, an HR analyst, a fashion icon, who knows? Will they have all the answers? Nope. But with each one, we'll get a little closer to figuring out what we can do to build workplace cultures where people are happy, healthy, and inspired to do the best work of their lives. This episode, we'll be talking with veteran HR leader Prabir Jha about the impact a well-defined purpose has on alignment, employee pride, and teamwork. As the former president and chief people officer at Cipla Pharmaceuticals, Prabir Jha has made a career of helping major companies cultivate world-class workplace cultures. His track record is impeccable having guided not one, but two Fortune 500 companies to spots on the top 10 best companies to work for in India. Prabir was interviewed by David Sturt, an author, keynote speaker, and expert in workplace culture in his own right, who just so happens to be my boss. But he's not here to give me my annual performance review, right? No, I don't think we'll give you your performance review now. And you know, by the way, that we don't just do one-time-a-year performance reviews. I might have heard about that. We're huge fans of multiple touch points through the year. Indeed, indeed. So, Prabir Jha, why'd you want to interview him for The Workplace? You know, I was so impressed with him. My first uh, trip to India, I met up with him and and met with a group of his leaders at a huge telecommunications company. And a, a subsequent trip to India, he was then the president and CHRO of Cipla Pharmaceuticals, one of the, in fact, the largest pharma company in India. But uh, just my interactions with Prabir were just, just revealed a man that I thought was outstanding in every way. He has mentored so many of the top HR leaders of large organizations in India. He has he has done it all, and he just has this way about him and this wisdom about him that I just found absolutely uh, fantastic. He's he, magnetic, isn't he? He really is. There's just something about how he thinks about the world and thinks about his people and how to lead them and develop thriving workplace cultures that I just had to interview him. Well, I am so excited to hear what you guys talked about. Without further ado, Prabir Jha. Well, Prabir, it is great to have you here and to see you. Uh, it was a delight being with you in Mumbai. Uh, that was what, in January, I think? That's we right, were, uh, earlier together. this year. And, but equally uh, happy, you know, having an opportunity of chatting with you, David. And that was, a, that was a real treat to see how you lead and some of the things you do. And uh, shortly after, in fact, the day I came, uh, came over to your headquarters and we did the, the right. webcast on yes. some of the appreciation best practices for your managers around That's the world. Right. And uh, the thing that struck me was instantly my uh, LinkedIn and social media just blew up every oh. direction. And I'm thinking, wow. And then I noticed you have over half a million LinkedIn right. followers. And uh, very quickly, I got to see in person uh, why so many people follow you and are interested to see what you're thinking about, where you think the future is going, and just, just how you lead. I watched you pretty carefully as you interacted with your team members. And wow, what a connection I could see between you and your team. And I think they would do anything for you. And uh, you've accomplished so much. You've worked at so many of the largest, uh, most prestigious companies in India. 
And, uh, and so again, thank you for just taking a few minutes to chat today. Uh, tell me something you're most proud of as you think back across your career. Any particular things or accomplishments or uh, things that you've, you've, you've made happen at the various companies you've worked for? So David, I won't talk about a particular accomplishment for a company. You know, uh, at the end of the day, results happen. But what I think has stood by me right through my career when I look back has been, uh, and which gives me a lot of pride, has been the ability to build very high performance teams, uh, starting with HR and then overall for the company. And I think it's very difficult. It's not easy to attract the best talent or to find the best talent, to take risks with talent that hitherto were lying somewhere. So I think talent spotting, getting the right people on the team and unleashing their uh, potential and possibilities. I think that's been God's gift somewhere to me. And uh, I've consciously tried to practice that and it gives me a tremendous sense of joy because uh, at the end of the day, not only results happen for the day, but most importantly, you create people for always. And uh, when I look back the other day, I was counting or trying to recall, there are 15 CHROs uh, today of fairly uh, well-placed Indian companies who've passed through my, uh, uh, you know, uh, tenure. Your tutelage. In some ways, you know, and I think that gives me a lot of pride. And therefore, if you ask me to pick one thing across my career, it's really been about building uh, great guys and getting them together and unleashing them and and the magic unfolds. Yeah, and I think that's that's evidence of true leadership to me because out of all the things you could be proud of, which is a lot of accomplishment, um, interesting that you point out those you help develop into outstanding leaders. And to me, that's the ultimate role, isn't it, of a leader Absolutely. to help develop people and help them rise even above what they maybe thought they were capable of right. doing. One is a, is a formal role, but I think even very selfishly, it's about uh, your quest for pure joy. Nothing gives uh, uh, me more happiness than see someone else succeed. And to see people who've worked with you succeed in my own function. And I would say even beyond. My current CEO, for example, I know as a colleague uh, who was a middle level uh, leader, you know, many years back in a company that we worked together. And somewhere I think I've had the opportunity of being his uh, career coach, even when we were not working together. And then to see him finally become a CEO, these are great moments for an HR practitioner that you've helped someone through a fairly longish uh, period to really uh, come to where he or she legitimately belonged. Was there a time when you made the shift toward this way of thinking? Often people early in their careers, they're so focused on their own contribution and, and really creating value that they're maybe less aware of their influence as a leader to develop other people. Now, I don't think there was uh, one eureka moment and uh, one moment when I had enlightenment. Mm -hmm. You know, because of my very uh, unique, possibly checkered uh, uh, background, my first decade, as you know, was as a civil servant in India. And uh, that's uh, one of the toughest exams to clear. And uh, if you clear that exam, you almost start right at the top of uh, the operating uh, pyramid. And therefore, in many ways, I never ever was a single individual performer. I never know whether I would have been a great individual <laughs> contributor either. But from day one, I've managed teams. I have led teams, uh, led teams who have had very different backgrounds. 
their uh, age, their experience, their uh, entire demographic mix. So I think the only way I could have been successful was about making sure that people who I led from day one were able to perform at a level that A, they deserved and possibly what I wanted. And I think that credit I'll give to my uh, years in the government because the ability to influence, inspire, uh, cajole, persuade uh, people who you cannot give any, a rupee or a dollar more as increment or a dollar more as a bonus, or you cannot promote out of turn because the government follows its own rigid hierarchy and norms. And uh, I think somewhere the value of appreciation, inspiration, recognition, or fulfilling uh, the person in each role holder I think got uh, born and uh, the corporate sector, if you ask me honestly, has only allowed me more possibilities uh, of recognizing and appreciating uh, people. But I would trace my little uh, uh, mantra or the recognition of it to my days uh, in the government and the bureaucracy. So fascinating that the, that the very constraints that are imposed by that setting actually kind of precipitated and almost forced you to have to be more creative in, in employing other ways of helping lead and inspire because you didn't have those other levers Absolutely. available to you. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about uh, any uh, current culture um, initiatives that are underway or things you're particularly excited about over the years. You've built strong cultures. You've, you were brought in to this organization at CIPLA, bringing with you the all of this experience uh, to join an already strong and purposeful organization. Uh, how, how do you go about determining that and, and, and what's been important to you? Any thoughts about that? So CIPLA has been a very fascinating experience. You know, I complete almost three years uh, uh, now and it's what a journey it has been. It seems that we've accomplished in three years what typically a company would do in eight years or 10 years. And uh, you're right that uh, the opening balance was amazing a company with 80 years of history, with 80 years of purpose of caring for life. And uh, it was a great start. And at the same time, we were very proud of our legacy, but we were very conscious that we needed to prepare for the future because the future is going to be very different. The operating economics has changed. The business context has changed. The talent profile has changed. No longer are people necessarily going to come in for 30 years of a career in one place. That's not going to happen. And in the pharmaceutical industry, you can create value only when everyone plays together. No single function, no single person, no single marketeer can create the kind of magic and fulfill the purpose that uh, it takes. And therefore, for me, in the last some years, uh, the most passionate agenda that I've been trying to, in some ways, push, cajole, persuade, influence, inspire, has been about what I call the one CIPLA credo. So we articulated the one CIPLA credo. What does it stand for? Because many people knew different aspects of the company, but it is very important to recognize that this is CIPLA and this is what CIPLA is going to stand for. And though we are an 80-year-old company, I realized when I looked at data that 60% of the company was less than three years old in CIPLA. So in some ways, it was a young company. The average age of a CIPLA employee was only 30. So it was a young company. And therefore, getting the one CIPLA credo was breaking silos, silos of geography, silos of functions, 
even silos, I dare say, of maybe people and personalities, and to get everyone to come and play wearing one jersey which says CIPLA, and therefore to rewire the entire HR ecosystems to be able to strategically, not only architect, articulate, but institutionalize some things which will make CIPLA battle ready for the days ahead. And that is a that is a challenging thing to do, isn't it? Because you're located around the world. How do you bring the benefits of the diversity of each of the groups and honor that while simultaneously creating a sense of unity? And it seems like that's something you guys have done particularly well. So you, you've actually said it, David. You know, it's all about making sure what is going to be your rallying cry. What is that one thing that will unify people across any demographic cut that in a workplace you can take? And for us, the purpose of caring for life was it. And uh, these are very simple words, but actually it doesn't matter what role you are in, what is your title, where in the world you uh, carry the CIPLA bag, it is caring for life, caring for that patient. And I think weaving that story, so when you talk about getting everyone onto the table, how do you even get to this point? And the way we did our focus groups, the way we spoke to different leaders, we tried to capture stories of the past, and then distill it all in words which possibly conveyed what everyone in many other ways were wanting to say. So for me, the story is not so much about suddenly creating uh, uh, an expression out of the blue. It already was in the DNA. It already was being served by people, except that the choice of words, the chiseling of words were important because at the end of the day, everyone must be able to connect, communicate and serve that one narrative. And uh, when you have 28 nationalities and have almost 35,000 people of all kinds across the world, how do you take it to the last guy in a manner that he or she can relate and connect with that purpose really has been the exercise that we've been in. And how do you make sure that the entire HR ecosystem gets rewired, re-architected to reinforce the new purpose, the new belief, the new one simpler credo that we finally put together? Yeah, I, I love the word connect and you've used it multiple times. How do you help connect people to that? And that takes, that, that there's an emotional connection there too, yes. right? It's not just a rational conversation that, hey, we're all going in this direction, Correct. but there's an actual visceral, you know, emotive connection you're trying to forge there. Um, any, any ways in which you found making that purpose more experiential or ways that people could naturally find connection to it? So I'll answer that question, but if I may, it's important to also recognize that it is not that people have all spent 20 years or 30 years in the company because then it grows on, on you. It becomes easier. Mm -hmm. Here is a situation where we are hiring all the time. We are hiring across functions, across uh, geographical uh, regions. And therefore the idea was how do you bring the best of the past and yet you hire people with the connect for that purpose. So it is all about changing the way you even look at people. What do you look for when you hire people? And you've got to articulate that very clearly. How do you move beyond just a resume-based approach to hiring? Similarly, how do you make sure that you change your performance systems? What do you reward for? Do you reward only for the goal and the outcome? Or do you reward for the how, the behavior which connects with caring for life? Mm -hmm. You know, we articulated our CIPLA leadership essentials. 
right? And I won't get into the framework details right now, but how does that reinforce the purpose that we are in? How do you make sure you leverage different tools of communication? We run Radio Sipla across the world twice a month. And the stories and the songs that we play, they are all about making sure that you remind people of that connect, that oneness, that oneness beyond the diversity which is needed and which exists. And how do you look at the entire framework of appreciation and recognition? And what do you recognize? Do you recognize only a business number? Or do you recognize many things which lead to that business number? And therefore celebrating, connecting, storytelling, the harder stuff of the HR systems and processes, and all about the kind of talent and leadership redefinition is what has been our conduit towards helping Sipla move from a great past to a still better future, hopefully. I think that, that illustrates what you're talking about with resetting this HR ecosystem. It really affects everything. It's That's not right. like, okay, uh, we, we created uh, our new sort of slogan, our new purpose statement, you know, we had communicate it out, put it on posters and, and call it good. You've actually integrated that carefully in to everything you've been doing. Right. And I think that's a fabulous uh, best practice. That's a that's a way, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that your employees, as they connect into that and as they hear it again and again, they're experiencing it from multiple ways through Radio Sipla, through the experiences, through the stories it becomes a way of life. And then it really truly does become a shared purpose. It does, and you know, when you look at some of the hard data, David, it bears it out. For example, we are at our lowest attrition in four years, as we speak. Uh, over the last three years, uh, we've actually increased our revenues by over 30%, our EBITDA by 30%. So everything could be either a correlation if not a causality, but the fact is it does matter when people start owning and connecting the larger purpose and believe and practice the cultural reality that we want, business is bound to get impacted. As I talk to CHROs everywhere, so often they speak of this challenge where they feel like they're carrying rocks uphill trying to get the rest of the team to catch the vision of it and not just see it as a, as a uh, expendable people initiative, sure. but that it's central to the success of the organization. Anything, any ways in which you found to help bring that about or make that happen? It's a great question, but first let me uh, play my gratitude uh, back. Uh, I think uh, I'm blessed. I think uh, my peers, our management team, uh, does not see this as an HR agenda. And it is not an HR agenda. Maybe HR is the steward you know, it is kind of chaperoning uh, the entire engagement, but it is not an HR agenda. It is an organization agenda. And I think my management colleagues have owned it, accepted it. So while some of the words and the smithing of words, uh, maybe prioritizing some things may finally be a little more done by me or by HR, but I think it has been a product of iteration and discussions with my management team and with my leaders. Likewise with the board of directors. It is something that we've taken and made sure every stakeholder has had an opportunity of inputting. So if you ask me, the biggest thing is about how do you build a co-ownership by inviting a point of view? It doesn't have to be the point of view, but it's important to acknowledge a point of view. So I think that's been the first thing. Second, as I said, we've rewired a lot of our HR practices and systems. Because if you don't do that, you're never going to be able to give life to the intent that 
you, uh, you sought in the first place. Every key HR project, every key HR decision has meant my peers and my management team's active involvement. It's not that I decided I signed off and that was uh, the Bible from tomorrow. That's not the way we work in Sibla. And I think it has been a great opportunity. So building this co-ownership has been the most important agenda uh, uh, ownership. Because if you did not own this as their agenda, they would not transmit it to their rank and file. And without that, there is nothing that I could have achieved or delivered. So my thank you really to my leadership team and uh, for A, believing and for championing and co-owning the agenda, which is not an HR agenda alone. Personally, I'm just curious, you know, what do you do to develop as a leader? What do you do to kind of improve your own game personally? You're putting me in the spot here now. <laughs> so, but very seriously, I think, uh, as I think, a lot of it is about practice, reflection, and practice. Because uh, in my role as a leader, and more so in HR, where everything can be an HR agenda and issue, there is nothing in the company which is not an HR agenda. Mm -hmm. And uh, the challenge that as an HR leader I have is I am accountable for everything without having been the line manager of every employee in the company. It's a very small team that we have. And you've got to make sure that all the HR impact in the organization is owned by leaders who don't report to you, who don't directly work for you. And therefore, it has to be about influence. It has to be about inspiration. It has to be about active listening. And therefore, I said reflection. Because many a time, I make mistakes. Many a time, which I think that an issue which got handled in a certain way in a certain market would get addressed the same way in another market. It doesn't happen. And therefore, in my own journey as a leader, I have really felt a value of honest reflection, howsoever brutal it may be. And therefore, either you course correct, or at least you don't make that same mistake with the same kind of group uh, somewhere in the future. And therefore, taking feedback, seeking feedback is very important. I've also realized in my leadership journey that uh, sometimes we are more critical than we need to be of ourselves. We don't celebrate ourselves enough. And I've tried to do that over the years. That at the end of the day, if you don't feel good about yourself, something is obviously working. That's why you're where you are. And something is holding you back from where else you could be. And therefore, listen to what people are saying. Listen to a lot of the nonverbal cues. They may not always tell you on your face, but you know people are not liking some things or people are appreciating some things. And I think you just hone that sensitivity. So for me, it has been really practice, reflection, and practice that has been my mantra along the way. Good for you. One last question. Um, what do you think is the role of recognition and appreciation in leadership, in how you lead, in the culture of an organization? It's something I can tell that's been important to you for many, many years. W what is it about that that you think is fundamental or if it's missing, what's wrong? So for me, uh, I very strongly believe that appreciation is key for two reasons. One, the simpler reason, which people don't typically recognize or acknowledge. You know, if it is an appreciation or recognition deficit culture, you put the entire pressure on your formal rewards program, which is your year-end bonuses, your increments, your financial rewards. 
And uh, not every year will you be in a position to be doling out the bonuses and increments which will offset every other reason for people not to be happy working for you. It just doesn't work. And uh, I firmly believe that this is a pressure which is not sustainable. On the other side, I genuinely believe that this creates winning cultures. You cannot ever be deficit or shy of appreciation. There is no quota, there is no limit, there is, it doesn't cost much. But what is needed is intent. Does the manager, does the peer, does the supervisor, does even the report understand the value of positive appreciation? Can, there is no limit to being thankful and grateful for people who help you become what you become. And I don't believe it is the prerogative of only leaders and managers. It can also come from people below you. And if you're able to unleash a culture of appreciation, it also enables a culture to acknowledge differences of opinion. It helps you get better prepared to handle divergence of thought because there is a cachet of goodwill that you've created. And when there are those moments where you are hammers and tongs at each other on an issue, you're able to separate the person from the issue. And therefore it just creates and generates a more innovative culture. So to me, it solves many other intent and purpose. And at the root of it all is my understanding of human behavior. Some may be a little shy of being appreciated more or publicly, but there is no one who goes home saying, oh, I wanted to find a table and hide under the table because someone said, well done, or, th or said thank you. What stories do people take back to their homes, to their families, when they talk about their workplace? What stories do they talk about their last employer when they change jobs? And it therefore has great brand ambassadorship value and it costs nothing. So more power to appreciation, more power to recognition. And I think each one of those elements are, are vital. And when missing, as you described, uh, you see all kinds of crazy things start to show up. Right. And when present, it provides this level of confidence. It provides this level of continuity and, and borrowed goodwill uh, during difficult times. And it creates the culture that you seek to be. Because if you recognize the new behaviors that you feel are relevant, you appreciate them, and you reprimand some of the older behaviors, it's such a powerful way of changing cultures and of rewiring expectations and building new organizations. So I think it's a great strategic tool. I just wish more of us recognize that it doesn't take the time that people think it takes. You don't need to calculate 10 seconds to ask someone or to tell someone, hey, I appreciated what you did for me yesterday. But these are the mindsets that we need to throw away. That was just it's beautiful insight. And so again, we're just delighted to- Thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me here. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Now it's time for Tangible Takeaways, where we break down big ideas into bite-sized pieces you can take with you and implement in your workplace culture. The first is that you should never underestimate the power of a great rallying cry. CIPLA's is caring for life, which sounds pretty lofty, because it is. As a global pharmaceutical firm, they could have easily gone with a typical corporate-sounding purpose, and no one would have batted an eye. But they didn't. They went all in on emotion, putting their neck out as the big pharma company with a heart. And by all accounts, it's worked. 
Which makes sense. People can't help but connect to a purpose that dreams big, especially when it's in an industry where saving lives is kind of the job. The second is that there should never be a limit for recognition. Nor should there be a quota. Use either one and you risk suppressing appreciation or worse, making it an obligation. Instead, focus on the intent. Make sure your leaders understand the importance and impact of recognition and know how to communicate it to their teams. More people giving recognition means more people receiving it. And the more recognition happening, the more it becomes part of your culture. Then, and only then, can you even consider worrying about the problem of too much recognition. We should all be so lucky. The third is that if there was a final boss in the HR world, it would be Prabir Ja. Only you don't fight him to win the game. You train under his watchful eye at his hidden mountain monastery. Earn his respect, pass his tests three to become a true member of the HR Enlightened, and finally, set off alone into the wilderness on a journey to found your own monastery and spread the gospel of the great Jah. That's it for this episode of The Workplace. If you liked it, or even if you didn't, please rate, review, and subscribe to The Workplace on Stitcher. It really helps us grow and better understand our listeners. Okay, plug time. If you like thinking and talking and learning about workplace culture, then you have to come to the third annual Influence Greatness Culture and Recognition Conference. September 17th to 19th, thought leaders, authors, experts, and peers will gather in the mountains of Snowbird, Utah to share new ideas and insights about how to shape workplace cultures where people thrive. The mythical Malcolm Gladwell is headlining, but the real star might be the 2019 Global Culture Report, an annual state of workplace culture study packed with the latest research, trends, insights, and best practices. A must read for every HR leader with an eye on the future. Register now to secure your spot at octanner.com slash influence greatness. The Workplace is sponsored by OC Tanner, the global leader in employee recognition. OC Tanner helps thousands of top companies create engaging cultures where people can accomplish and appreciate great work. 25 of the Fortune 100 best companies to work for use an OC Tanner recognition solution. Learn how to influence greatness in your organization at octanner.com. <laughs>